0: Uh, really uh, exciting to be here on a Saturday night. It's kind of weird, right? Uh, But, uh, yeah, because if a pastor doesn't work on a Sunday, then does he work at all? You know, that's the question. I guess you'll find out, uh, you know, tonight. So, you know, I'm so used to having my my six days off in between, and now you're making me work on a Saturday. It just isn't fair. So uh, please don't let it happen again. Anyway, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to everyone with their flexibility and, you know, all the hustling that happened to make our our project work ministry day happen. And uh, just it, it thrilled my heart to see all these people around just serving and cleaning and wiping down wall, walls and fixing stuff and throwing out garbage and sorting through, you know, things that most of us would never even see that was happening Today and uh, so the you know the church is spicker and spanner and cleaner and shinier than it was this morning and uh, and so I do want to say thanks so so let's all just give everyone a round of applause for uh, all of your all of your hard work yeah. Yeah, and then as well, just to remind you that we're not having church tomorrow morning. So if you're online and watching this, then that's because we're having a planned power outage tomorrow, which is outside of our control. That's why we're having church on a Saturday night. Uh, But uh, yeah, but this will be online. And so, uh, you know, if you want to watch it again, then uh, you can watch it again tomorrow morning or there are lots of other churches which you can uh, tune in online or even visit, you know, um, you know, those who are open in the area. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, it was uh, August the sixth, two thousand and twenty-one this year, and I watched, and I'm sure many of us did. We watched Canada beat Sweden uh, in the finals for the women's football, women's soccer, and uh, and it was incredible. It went through the whole game, then it went into extra time, then it went into shootout, and uh, and it was nail biting, as nail biting as any movie i've watched as as we were wondering you know which would um which would not ah, what's the word which would crumble under the pressure first right and uh, and it was incredible you know to see team canada win and uh, win the world uh, win the olympics uh, which was in, in, incredibly exciting and uh, and the captain of course is christine sinclair and uh, you know who is the greatest international goal scorer of all time regardless of gender okay so so she has so she has 187 international goals under her belt um, and when she stepped off the olympic podium in japan uh, she had played 304 games over 100 and, oh sorry over 21 years not 121 years that would be amazing um, but uh yeah but she played 304 games over uh, over 21 uh years which was incredible and of course now she had a gold medal and uh and the nice thing for Christine Sinclair is that she will always have the gold medal to remind her that she is a world champion, and whatever happens from now until the end of her life, she will always be an Olympic champion. No one can take that away. You don't become a former Olympic champion; you're always an Olympic champion uh, until the end of your life. And and so she has that, and no one is able to you know to remove it from her or to take it away from her. Let's uh, turn. Uh, this evening to Galatians chapter three, verse one. If you have your Bibles or your Bible apps on your phone, then uh, then you can turn there with me and we will also have it up on the screen. So here we go. Uh, all right. So uh, yeah, Galatians chapter three, verse one says this, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Okay, just listen to the language. Listen, imagine how Paul is as he's writing this. What is his frame of mind? Okay, you foolish Galatians. Imagine getting a letter to you saying that. Okay, you foolish individual. You foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Before your, your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, in the original letter written to the Galatians, there were no no chapters and verses right those are a later modern thing so even though we start this morning at ch- or this evening sorry at chapter 3 verse 1 yeah this is what happens when you're a manuscript preacher is you write things like morning when it's clearly evening so uh, i will try to do the uh, the uh, mid flow change so uh, so even though we we're reading this evening Uh, starting at chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is actually continuing a thought that he already started in chapter 2, verse 19. So this is how it reads with the whole flow. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, okay, I said that last week, uh, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified so what Paul is saying here as we read this is that if there was more than one way for people to be right with God, then Jesus died for nothing. If there was an alternate route, then he is not necessary. But the truth of his death through crucifixion has been clearly portrayed before your very eyes, meaning that he had taken, you know, maybe hours and hours to explain to them why the truth of the crucifixion of Christ was true and had happened. But like I said last Sunday, the Galatians were letting fear move into their airspace. Um, And the only way to get rid of this fear, like we said on Sunday, is to mob that fear with the doctrines of truth and of faith and of justification and grace and life. And you bam, 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 hit that fear out of your airspace. And all of this, all of the justification and the grace and the truth um, and the faith and the life, all of this is centered in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. He's the glue that holds it all together. And Paul is heartbroken. You can hear it in his language. And he's angry because the foolish Galatians are abandoning that truth that the, and that they've allowed themselves to really be, be really be bewitched, or hoodwinked, or fooled. And so he's saying to them, how could you let this happen? How could you be so stupid? And so to counteract their stupidity, for the the remainder of the chapter, Paul appeals to reason to make this watertight case in in an attempt to call them back to sanity okay they're acting insanely he's saying you have to come back to sanity and the only way for him to do that is to use reason and he starts this by returning back to the basics now sometimes my girls ask to see photos of them when they were tiny little babies right And each time it brings a smile to their face. And why does it bring a smile to their face? Because uh, it helps them to know where it all started, where they came from. Because understanding where we came from helps us to make sense of our lives now, right? And so Paul starts by engaging them on the personal level, on the subjective level. And he asks them this question. He says, okay... When you're thinking about returning to reason, when you're thinking about returning to reason, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, how did your faith start? How did your faith start? So verse 2, he says, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh, you know, of the personal self, of your own hard work? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So I ask again, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, by the things which you try to do yourself, or by you believing what you heard? And so it's a good question, right? Because Paul is saying that if you started your spiritual life, your spiritual race, through the Spirit of God, through him, if he was the one who gave you life, if the mechanism for you, for you coming to faith was hearing the message of the gospel and you believing in your heart and your mind, then why would the rules change after you're saved? Okay, so so you have Christine Sinclair, and she has the gold medal, but how tragic would it be if suddenly she thought that after earning it, after winning it, uh, she, she thought that, well, I have to keep working hard, because if I don't keep working hard, then I'll lose the gold medal. Someone will remove it from me. I have to keep working hard at it in order to keep gold medal and so she gets up early and she does drills and she does runs, and she pushes herself and she pushes herself not for the joy of the sport but because she's afraid of losing the gold medal if this happened surely someone would come up to her and say hey you've won the gold it's yours forever it cannot be removed from you you can relax now, let's imagine that being right with God is like a gold medal, right? Now, unlike her, we don't earn it, right? It's not something that we work for. We don't win our, our own medal, but Jesus wins it for us. He's the one who made us right with, with God. And through faith, we receive this medal, this gift of life through the Spirit. This is how it all starts. And this is how it stays this is how it works itself out for the rest of our lives. It starts in this spirit, and it continues in this spirit. You know, God is not like the coachman in the Pinocchio movie. Hands up if you've seen that movie. If you've seen, you know, a really disturbing movie about this little boy with a wooden boy with a nose that grows when he lies. There's so many really disturbing things about it, but it's a fantastic movie. You know, when there's a coachman in there who um, reels them in. Um, with an offer of fun and a free ride, right? Well, God's not like the coachman in the, in the Pinocchio movie. He doesn't reel a sin with an offer of free salvation, but then he says, well, once they're in, I'm going to put them to work. No, I'm going to send them to the island and they're going to work hard and they're going to be miserable for the rest of their lives unless they earn themselves back into my favor, God does not do the bait and switch. And so Paul asks them, he says, how did your faith start? How did it begin? And the answer is by the spirit and not by the works of the law. And this free gift that started by faith continues to be a free gift afterwards that never changes all the way through life. Right up until the end, it's a free gift. Once we have the gold medal, of faith in Christ, it's ours. We don't have to work to maintain our gold medal status. In a sense, we can relax. And so Paul answers this subjective faith question, how did your personal faith begin? And the answer is through, through the Spirit. And his, his aim is to bring the Galatians back to sanity, remember, by using reason. And then and then Paul moves beyond the issue of subjective faith to your own personal experience to objective faith, to um, faith as a larger thing. And, uh, and so he asks this not by asking, how did your faith begin? But he asks the question, how did the faith begin? How did it all start? You know, this whole thing of faith in God and a relationship with him, how did it start if you go back to the beginning? And for that, he takes us back to Abraham. And Abraham is known in the Bible as the father of faith or the father of the the faith. So it makes sense for Paul, as he's trying to reason them back into sanity, to use Abraham as his example. Verse 6, so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Now here's the thing the Judaizers said that Abraham is our father because he's the father of circumcision. <clears throat> he was circumcised, they reasoned, so we should all be circumcised if you're a male. After all, God himself said to Abraham, as for you, let's see if I have this. No, I don't have this, but but he said this in Genesis 17 verse 9. He said, as for you, you must keep My covenant, you and your descendants after you for for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. The covenant that you are to keep. And then he says this, every male among you shall be circumcised. Right? And so the Judaizers said that he's the father of circumcision. And so they said that if anyone wants to be children of Abraham, then they have to be circumcised because that's what God said to Abraham. And they seem to have a point, right? Because, you know, the Bible says that in Genesis 17, verse 9. But then, you know, if you imagine that Paul's in this kind of high stakes game of theological, maybe Texas Hold'em or something, right? And he's, and then he does this incredible. Maneuver because they show him their cards and their cards say Genesis 17, verse 9. You know, that God said to Abraham that they have to be circumcised, everyone has to be circumcised. But then, but then what Paul does is amazing is that when they show him Genesis 17, verse 9, Paul gets his hand out and he shows them his cards and his cards say Genesis 15, verse 6. And he goes all in on this somewhat Genesis uh, 15, verse 6. Says, Is this it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he the Lord credited it his faith to him, Abraham, as righteousness? And so, and so, what Paul's saying here is that if you're going to quote Abraham at me, then I'm going to quote Abraham at you to make my point. And Paul knows that he has a winning hand because Genesis. 15 verse 6 is two whole chapters earlier than Genesis 17 verse 9. And so, what what is Paul's point here? Well, Paul's point is that God declared Abraham righteous through faith prior to him being circumcised. So, he said he was righteous in Genesis 15 verse 6, and then later in Genesis 17 verse 6, God said, You shall be circumcised and, and, and everyone after you. So, so what Paul's saying is that Abraham's right standing with God cannot be reliant on circumcision. It has to be on faith. And Paul wins, and he scoops up all the winnings off the table. Verse 8, God declared Abraham, oh, sorry, uh, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, just Hold on to that phrase. It's an incredible phrase. All nations will be blessed through you. Verse 9. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Not the man of circumcision, but the man of faith. And I love this. I love this verse. Because here we see a God who is not constrained by our ideas of space or time. Right? He exists outside of space and time. And God is there at this moment, with Abraham, the man of faith. And so, and so at that moment when he's there, he foresees, he foresees, you know, the cross and Jesus on the cross. He sees Cornelius. He sees the Jerusalem council. He sees the writing of the letter of, uh, of Galatians. And he sees us at this very moment now, all at the same time, if you can say time, God sees all of this as if it's happening at the same moment. And then he sees, you know, the gospel as it spreads in the book of Acts. He sees the missionary, his, um, missionary efforts throughout history. He sees all that's going on, the salvations and the conversions and the, uh, and the revivals. And God knows that his goal is to justify, you know, the Gentiles, which is all of us, unless you're ethnically a Jew, this evening. And with all that in mind, all, he sees all of this. And he says in this moment in Genesis chapter 15, he says to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. And that is the message of the gospel that God is announcing in advance to this man of faith. God is showing his hand. Now, of course, you know, Abraham has no idea what God has in mind. But God is crystal clear in what he means. Because scripture which is inspired by God and written by God himself, foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. You know, you know can you think of how amazing this news is, you know, for the Gentiles over in Galatia, who were under pressure to be circumcised so that they could quote-unquote really be children of Abraham. And what Paul's saying is step away from the knife. Step away from the knife. You don't need circumcision to be Abraham's offspring because Abraham's genealogy is traced uh, through faith and not circumcision, which means that anyone is allowed in on the basis of faith alone. This is incredible. And we need to hear this too, right? That, that God welcomes us Even when we feel unworthy, in in spite of our unworthiness, maybe because of of our unworthiness, he welcomes us in at that moment, not once we've proved our worthiness through jumping through hoops. Verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written, everyone uh, curses everyone who, who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. There's this uh, restaurant down in Texas, you know, everyone knows that in Texas everything is big, you know, the big hats and the big state, big state, and the big oil rigs and big everything. Well, there's this thing in Texas called the Big Tex Super Burger. And this is what this website um, says. The website is called Koo.com. And it says this, that the Big Tex Super Burger features a 4.5 pound all-beef patty, which is the equivalent of 18 quarter pounders. It also boasts 12 slices of cheese, pickles, lettuce, tomatoes, mayo, and mustard. At $25, this hefty hamburger will take a bite out of your budget, but if you can gulp it all down in an hour, then it's free. And Big Text Papa's owner, Samuel Barazza, says that no one has been able to finish the burger so far. Hands up if you think that you could eat this 4.5 pound mammoth. <laughs> okay, Shannon, well, you go down there and video yourself and we will uh, rejoice. <laughs> And maybe get your stomach pumped. (laughs) But the only way that you can get the burger for free is if you eat all of it, every single bite. And the only way that you can get into God's good books um, is if you fully and faithfully observe every single iota and paragraph and subparagraph and footnote of the law which is why the pharisees created 613 extra laws so that they could uh, somehow take account of every possible eventuality and hopefully create a path of righteousness that would lead you to God through the law but it's impossible and paul says that that this law is a curse because it's impossible for us to fulfill No one can eat a 4.5 pound burger in an hour or less. But you have more chance of doing that than ever fulfilling the law. And if you don't eat the burger in an hour, then you've got to pay full price. And if you don't fulfill the law, then you've got to pay full price. Verse 11, uh, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified... justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. Verse 12, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. And so Paul's saying that in verse 12, that if you choose the way of the law and the the way of self-righteousness, trying to earn your way in, then you've made your choice. You've made your bed. Now you have to lie in it. But the idea that someone can obey the law in all its fullness is fake news. It's false. It will never happen. But that's okay because the real news is is really amazing. The real news is that the righteous will live by what? By faith. Just like Abraham lived by faith. Now this phrase, the righteous will live by faith is in quotations as you can see on the screen because it means that Paul is quoting from a passage in the Old Testament and actually he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 and in fact in our passage tonight there are seven such Old Testament quotations, Old Testament references and so Paul knows that his... um, that his point of us being saved by faith is not a new idea he 's rooting it in the Hebrew scriptures this isn 't something new that he 's just made up now there are two ways for us to understand this phrase from Habakkuk chapter two verse four. Paul writes it like this that the righteous will live by faith, and we 've already explained this, but if you read the original text in Habakkuk chapter three, uh, chapter two verse four, it actually says something else it says this: the righteous the, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. It's not exactly the same. There's something else being said here. So what is it? is it? Is it that the righteous will live live by faith? Or is it that the righteous person will live by his faithfulness? Because living by faith sounds like I'm totally trusting in Christ. But living by my faithfulness sounds like I'm kind of earning my way in. That As I'm faithful, I will live. Well, what if it's actually both? What if it's a mixture of the two? What if the way for us to be right with God is by our faith, not in our faithfulness, but in Christ's faithfulness? That the righteous person will live by Christ's faithfulness. Isn't that amazing that we can have faith not in some re- religious construct, but in the faithfulness of Jesus himself, the only one who faithfully observed the entirety of the law, absolutely without ever stepping foot wrong and who who died in our place so that he could pay for our law breaking. And this is what Paul's trying to get at in verse 13 where he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law that we could never fulfill by becoming a curse for us, by living as though he broke all of the commandments for it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a pole now this this next verse, okay, so we see that Paul is building a case he 's building a case, and so this next verse, I want you to listen to because um, it will blow your mind, it is so uh full of amazing truth, uh, so you know this next verse we should be reading it, we should be meditating on it, we should be memorizing it, we should be muttering it over and over again. So here's the next verse. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Amen? That's amazing. He redeemed us in order the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And so when we look at verse 12 to 14 of Galatians chapter 3, and when we compare it with Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, here's what we understand. We understand that Christ took our curse upon himself in his faithfulness, and we take his blessing upon us in faith. And when we have faith in his faithfulness, we live. So in our teaching today, Paul has explained how our personal faith, how our subjective faith started. It started in the spirit, not by flesh, not by the works of the law. He also uh, explained how the faith began not by the circumcision of Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, but actually by the faith of Abraham two chapters earlier, which God credited to him as righteousness. So both our personal faith and the faith universal was birthed by the spirit of God, not in the flesh, not by our own effort. And this is such amazing news because it means, like I said earlier, that faith is accessible to absolutely anyone regardless of how well we've done or how much we've screwed up. In Jesus, we've won a gold medal through the Spirit, and our gold medal status continues in the Spirit. We don't have to work to maintain our status in Christ. Next Sunday, we're going to look at... um, uh galatians uh chapter 3 verse 25 to chapter 4 verse 7 so feel free to read ahead but but um you know i want to leave us with this thought that that this that christ's doors to salvation is open to absolutely everyone and that when we when we come to jesus it's not like coming to a castle with a portcullis and a big gate and a moat around it, you know, one that looks scary and intimidating, you know, and there's, you know, when someone's up there, you know, with these, with these hot oil buckets ready to pour on you, you know, if, if you step foot wrong. But, but coming to Jesus is not like that. Coming to Jesus is like a gate. Uh, it's a gate of faithfulness that opens up into a heart, that opens up to the heart of faith. And that's why Jesus says this. And let's, let's end with these words. Very truly, I say to you, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will, will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, have it up to the max, have it full.